Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it, from the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life, and in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you, so the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to one of England's greatest cricketers, Joss Butler, and the theme is exploration. Joss Butler, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Pleasure to talk to you. How's the family? My family's good, thanks. Um, yeah, left the IPL and they managed to come out for the whole time with me, which was was great. Obviously, spending lots of time in, in bubbles at the moment, as um, we all are in cricket, but it was great to have my family with me. So everyone's well, thanks. I've got to say, you and Louise have inspired me somewhat. Obviously, your wife is a Pilates teacher and Pilates helped me previously. I used to have a dodgy back. And because of lockdown, I'm spending too much time sat sat down. So the old back's starting to play up a bit. So you've inspired me to go back towards Pilates to try and fix that. So first things first, thank you to you and to her. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. I've the same. That's what I've been doing. I've got a dodgy back as well. So um, no, she's done done really well. And yeah, I'm glad you uh, it's working for you as well. It does make a real difference, doesn't it, for things like dodgy backs? It's highly recommended. Whenever anyone says to me they've got a gammy back, I'm always like try Pilates. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, and I think you no, know, loads of time, especially in professional sport as well. We think about trying to get fit and needing to do high intensity, hard workouts, etc. But so, you know, sometimes the little prehab things, Pilates and yoga, is time well spent for a lot of us. Do you still do it even when she's not with you? I do, yes. Um, so now she's uh, throughout the lockdown, obviously taking it all online and stuff. Um, so I can can travel with it and um, yeah, try and make sure I do it every day. I, I really notice the difference now if I don't do it. So um, yeah, it's become a bit of a part of my routine. Well, it's going to become part of mine again. So thank you for that. Right, like I said, I'm thrilled to have you on. Not least actually because, and this is slight blow me own trumpet stuff here, because you you were actually I tweeted once because you've listened to a fair few of the old back catalogue of Don't Tell Me the Score. 
I have, yeah. Um, we get lots of time traveling and time on airplanes or going for a run and listening to a podcast. So some of the guests that you've interviewed, have, I've loved listening to, to their stories. I think the one I tweeted you about was the Clive Woodward one, wasn't it? And his teacup oh, theory yeah, about just, you know, just thinking about situations and that allowing you to probably have a better chance of succeeding in them. I thought that was a, a very obvious one. Uh, all of is us. That, is that something them. you do? You know, you you prep for, you plan and visualize forward. Yeah, I think you know, planning has obviously become a big part of it, and I think visualization has been something over the last couple of years. I've sort of got into um, work with a psychologist about visualizing things and, and you know, like anchoring systems and and sort of those. And, and you know, as we all say, if you a lot of the time when you have seen it happen, it seems you're more capable of doing it. So just trying to visualize certain situations before a match or before a series and, and visualizing certain bowlers, I've, I've found that a really powerful tool. Yeah, and it's a skill, isn't it? Some people take to it really naturally, but others not so much. So I, I struggle somewhat. But if you practice at it, you get better. Have you found you've improved at it? Yeah, I think I have improved at it. Um, and I think it's, it's the same as everything. You haven't to have the patience to stick with it for long enough. I try and use meditation as well. And that's something that you know, has taken time to practice and, and you know, your thoughts are just wandering. And then, you, you know, you're meditating, you're not really meant to be thinking of anything. But, you know, I think as well, it's how you judge judge those things it's um so i use visualization as something to give me what i perceive as the best chance of success it doesn't guarantee me runs or it doesn't guarantee me keeping wicket really well um and you can't really judge it on the on that end result you know i think that's sometimes where you lose patience with those kind of things is that you you do it you feel great you go to the game and and get out first ball or you don't feel good and they think well I'm not going to do that again because it obviously doesn't work but you know it's actually having the patience to continue with it and if you feel a, a real benefit um and making sure you do it no matter what the end product is of, of your um your runs tally as such so process over outcome just really quickly what type of meditation or would you just follow your breath that type of thing yeah just the simple ones on headspace i try and try and use um and i think a lot of time as well i quite like it and when traveling and you, you sort of get sucked into spending time on your phone or watching things so just a, a bit of time just with your own thoughts and and just getting away from from technology is probably one of the big things i use it for Oh, totally. Yeah, we, we it's so easily drawn to our phones, aren't we? Whenever we have, have a feeling of boredom or anything like that. But like you say, actually getting sitting with your own thoughts is a very valuable thing to do. And actually, Andy Puddicombe, he's been on Don't Tell Me The Score as well. He was in the, uh, early in the series. Fantastic. Lovely fella. Right. So listen, I've got a couple of quotes that I want to throw at you, Josh. So uh, Stuart Broad described you as England's best ever white ball cricketer. Nasser Hussein, a freak who does freakish things. Um, a, a mate of mine who I was, who's a huge cricket fan, I was chatting to him that John is his name, and he said one of the most for him one of the most exciting batsmen in full flow ever. So three resounding positive descriptions there. But the thing I think is interesting about you is the talent is obvious, but you're clearly valued in the dressing room. And as you know, with this, it's between the ears that counts as well. So what proportion of your success is down to, do you think, your mental side and that kind of thing? Um, probably quite a lot. And I'd say I've sort of learned that over time about how to improve the mental side of things and um, experience and how to use experience. You know, experience is such a valuable tool, which you... You can probably accelerate, but you can't just get it tomorrow. You know, you need to go through certain situations and, and know how it made you feel or certain moments in games and, and learn from that. And I think one thing I've got better at um, probably as I got to sort of 26, 27 is that my, my learning, I thought, became better. I think as a young kid, you're right, I thought I was talented and, and I believed that, you know, you could either do it or you couldn't. And all the older players would say, you know, as you get experience, you'll understand this situation. I used to think that's a bit of a cop-out sometimes, you know, you see these young players around the world who could do it. And I've certainly learned that as a huge process. And I think one thing I've sort of understood and I try and when I talk to sort of the younger players now is how can you accelerate that process? I think for me, Joe Root was a bit bigger example for me. You know, we're the same age, but sort of at 20 122 it felt like he had a 30 year old's head on his shoulders whereas I, I was nowhere near that and I think that's a, how do you quicken up that process of learning um, and making yourself almost a more experienced cricketer without the experience um, that you've just gained over time 
So how would you advise someone do that then? And you, I guess you can, again, apply this in any area of life. How can you become a quicker learner? Yeah, I think for me, one big thing was is not trying to please people. So I listen to certain people and you know, lots of people you know, might have a name that they've scored so many test runs or ODI runs, and you just suddenly are drawn to them and, and believe what they're saying and actually then go and, and you're almost pleasing that person by, by using whatever their advice was. Um, but actually the learning process of trying to listen, potentially try it in the nets or try it if it's a mental side of thing, but having the, the confidence and self-belief in your own ability to say, you know what, actually, I don't think that works for me and I'm going to leave that because, or it might just confirm the opposite, you know, actually he thinks that, but I know that that doesn't work for me. So you can almost move on from that sort of side of thinking and, and then come back to it. And I think that's been a, a big part of it is trying not to please others and, and just believing that someone has the answers because they're one of the best players to have played the game. Sometimes the guys who weren't the best players are the ones with some of the best information because they knew that they couldn't do it. They've, you know, they've had to learn and think through it and think, why couldn't I do it? And I think I've sort of less ego in terms of the learning as well. Interesting. So being the judge of what is right for you, listening to your intuition. And that got me thinking, because obviously during the IPO, everyone was talking about where you should bat and everyone was sticking their oar in. And I was actually going to ask you, you know, how do you react to have everyone chipping in with their opinion? But actually, you've just answered it then is to take it on board, but ultimately listen and listen to your own your own sense of what's right for you. Yeah, and I think you have to, and I think you have to be really strong with that. Now, Owen Morgan in our side is a, a really good friend as well, and I think he's one of the best at and taking emotion out of decisions as well, um, and listening and, and thinking logically through it, and then making coming to a conclusion and trusting it. You know, some I'm more of a ditherer sometimes over situations or feelings, and and so sometimes talking to him is just clarifies things for me, and I, I think that's really important. Is as well sometimes in those situations lots of people talk you have a couple of really close people who you really trust and and if you're feeling like it's affecting you you can just go to you know pick up the phone and just have a little conversation and and hearing it from someone else will sometimes give you clarity and I think also just individually coming back to what's especially now being what's served me well over time what's important to me and allowing other people to to talk you know that's sometimes people in the media that's their job to discuss it as a coach and a captain that's their job to come up with the best my job is to just try and do the best I can when I get out there and get my opportunity so sort of trying to come back around and and come back to that point yeah controlling the controllables essentially focusing on what's within your power of control right so we've touched on it a little bit insofar as you were a prodigious talent growing up but actually, before I ask you about that, you had a lovely picture on your Instagram of you and your brother at the 1999 World Cup. What do you remember of that experience? And sitting here now as a World Cup winner, the player who, who took the bails off to secure England the World Cup, you know, a regular for England, all the three three formats, thinking back to that when you would have been, what, nine years old, what would that nine-year-old part of you have made of what you've gone on to achieve now? Would he have believed that it was possible? Um, yeah, I think certainly had the dreams, um, but maybe didn't quite believe it was possible back then as a nine-year-old. I just loved cricket. I loved all sports. Um, I think that 99 World Cup had a real impact on me as well, you know, getting to, you know, we, I think you had to go in ballot to get tickets and my, my parents, but we had, we got lots of tickets for lots of game and all of us as a family would go to different games or if it was, you know, we had so many tickets, it'd be me and mum went to this one, my brother and uh, sister and dad would go to another one and just managing to see world-class players um, in front of your own eyes and, and not really understanding who they were or anything about about that but just had a real great effect on me and then I think then yeah like you say it's pinch yourself moments really when you think got 20 years down the line that's you on the field and there'll be other kids around the country having those same experiences and, and it'd be the start of their dreams of, of getting there so and I think Around that time, I always loved sport, but I probably wasn't thinking about becoming professional or that was the, a realistic thing until I sort of got onto Somerset's Academy a, a little bit older and, and I sort of felt like I could see a real path with how I was going to get there. So probably as a nine, 10 year old, it was more just like the fun of playing cricket and pretending you were, um, I don't know, 
Sachin Tendulkar in the garden or Waka Yunus bowling or something and being able to see those names in front of you as a as a kid it made them real as I mentioned you were this prodigious talent at school but to what degree is this right insofar as it I know you, your average was up near 100, but it wasn't just about getting runs insofar as you were very experimental. So you went for the scoop shot, for example, an unorthodox shot when you were sort of 14, 15. And that struck me as the trait of someone who was looking to the future of trying things out with a view to becoming as rounded a player as possible. So were you forward looking at that time rather than just thinking, oh, I can dominate this school and dominate that school? Um, I think so to an extent. And I think that partly is born in just the sort of way I liked watching sports. I always liked the guys who could do something a bit different. And they'd listen to the commentary and say, this guy's ahead of his time or he's the only guy in the world who can do this. And I sort of really liked those players and was always drawn to those players. And and I think I enjoyed, you know, one of the best things for, for me is always the practice and, and the fun in the nets. You know, there's no consequence. You can get out as many times as you like and, and being experimental and trying to try new things and, and think logically through them as, you know, if I could do this shot, you know, that would bring in um, another shot into my game or they never put a fielder there. Why don't I try and hit the ball there and, in a certain way um, and I think the scoop shot as well sort of I was trying around with it and then I remember Sri Lankan player Tilakratni Dilshan was uh, it was in England in a T20 World Cup maybe in sort of 2009 sort of time and he was like one of the first guys he was like going right down and the board literally about to hit his head and I think then again it was like oh he's doing that they're saying he's forward thinking how can he then build on that as well so um, I was always drawn to those players who could do things a bit differently. So would you encourage risk taking and trying these new type of skills obviously using cricket as an example but for anyone who wants to become really uh, excel at any particular thing to to put that effort in to broaden your skills and be a bit different and go a bit outside of the ordinary when you're in the developmental stage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially in that that developmental stage and that practice stage, and and I think it's really important to to try things because it, it also I mentioned a bit. It gives you confirmation either way as well um, because you might try something and you might have wondered about it for a little while and go, actually, that really doesn't work for me, or I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So you can sort of leave it and say, I've 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 tried it. It wasn't for me. I'm going to look at something else or a different way of doing it. So, um, but that's that's the real fun part in the game. You know, we all started playing these games because we we had fun and, and that exploration and a kid playing a game is now again another really nice mindset for me to to come back to. You know, sort of feeling under pressure or worrying about my technique, and you sort of go, well, when I was. 12, 13, 14, maybe even younger, you, you had no inhibitions or worries about those things. And, and trying to take yourself back to that mindset, especially in practice, is a, is a really powerful tool. And, it, and it's really fun. You know, it's, I think that's one thing in professional sports. Sometimes you get caught up in the seriousness of it and the pressures. And lots of people talk about the pressures. or um, But it's so fun. And, and working on your skill and, and, your, and trying to master your particular skill is, is where the real fun is. Yeah, not lo- so not losing touch with that part of us that is all about exploration and growth. And lots of talented youngsters, though, don't make it. Oftentimes, talent is seen as something of a millstone around someone's neck. I spoke to Carol Dweck, who came up with the growth mindset and fixed mindset studies and a fixed mindset being around thinking your talents are fixed. And people who are talented oftentimes as they rise the ranks and it becomes more difficult and their perceived level of talent becomes a bit more challenged than perhaps when it was young, it can become something that people struggle to then push on and kick on. But clearly in your case, you were marked out as a talent early doors and you've gone and completely fulfilled that talent and are continuing to do so. Why do you think you weren't a talent casualty, if you like? And have you seen others who perhaps were marked out for great things fall by the wayside? Yeah, I think you, you do, um, especially in cricket growing up through the ranks and you come to so the games against different counties or the England age group stuff. So you always see some guys and you think, well, this guy's going to go on and be the next Ian Bell or the next 
Andrew Strauss or Alice. And, and then, you know, a few years later, they, they just never seem to kick on. And there's also, like you say, late developers who really sort of surprise you. you think, oh, when we were young, he wasn't that good, but now he's very good. So I, I think, like you say, it's a real mix of, of things that you need um, to make it. I think one of the big things you need around that talent is that real drive to make the best of yourself and to become one of the best. And like you say, when you're talent gets challenged that's when you need that inner drive that you want to push through it and you want to get to the next stage and you want to okay at the moment this isn't working and it's that real hunger i think for me is to try and fulfill my potential like i said i feel like mm. I've got so much talent and it's like how am i not going to waste it what else do i need to make sure i can try and make the most of my talent and i think it's a, sometimes a hard thing as well because you feel like you may never fulfill that but i want to get to as, as close as i feel like i could get to and and i think your mindset and your drive to for me to make the most of of what i've got and make the most of myself is is the one thing that's that really alongside your, your skills and your things will keep pushing you through the the tougher times is it a challenge though keeping that side up to make the most of your talent because it sounds like there there is pressure almost or self-induced pressure somewhat or could be endemic in that whilst staying in touch with the other side we mentioned that childish or childlike side that's really into exploration and growth is it a challenge marrying those two or can they be complementary um i think it, like you say a bit of both they can really complement each other because it can give you trust and belief that okay this is a difficult period but i've got the talent and the drive to to bring me through it or when i come into the next challenge i've got those two things that can help me. I, I think one thing that's is tough sometimes is when people get labelled a certain way. You know, oh, he's a talented player, but he doesn't do enough of X, Y, or Z, or he hasn't quite got this, which so and so. And then that's when you know sometimes you can start judging yourself about certain things, or or this guy's never made the most of his talent. And you, sometimes you still hear that with you know, some really successful players and. You know, they're going really well and, and people still say, oh, he, he should have been better or he could have been better. And and I think that can sometimes eat away at you as an individual to think that, you know, other people are then starting to judge you about, you know, maybe you're not actually as talented as they believe you are. Or maybe there's other mm. factors that are holding your development back or holding your particular performance at a certain time back. Um, so I think that, again, that's where you need that strong mentality, because if you don't quite have that to to fight through tough times or when people are criticizing you maybe that's something that that's where you, you really need the two to marry up and shine through it's not just about talent isn't it there's so much goes into making the most of what you have and it's, it's so easy I, think, I hear this a lot people getting labeled as you know or they're mentally weak or you know they haven't fulfilled their talent but so, there's so much that goes into it it's not just about you know the way one hits hits a ball or anything like that something else though i thought interesting about your approach was you're, you're sort of creative in terms of where you look for resources so i know you, you've looked at other sports haven't you to try and bring in things from other sports to help you with your cricket and so one thing i saw was even the way you set up for a shot has been influenced by baseball. So A, is that to what degree is that true? And then B, you know, where did the inspiration to look outside of the normal boundaries of what people expect in cricket to, to get things from other areas? Where did that come from? I think again, for me, that's that um, just curiosity and, and exploration side of like, how do people do things differently or is there you know there's an obvious correlation between baseball and cricket especially now with more t20 around people trying to hit the ball harder and and more sixes and how do they create their power um so i haven't i've done a little bit with a few guys but it's more from sort of the positioning of, of how you get into that sort of baseball strike and then how do i gain much power and then then learn you working with um your strength and conditioning coach about specific drills that will potentially aid you in that. So then that exploration and curiosity can just continue through, you know, into a number of different people. And then how do I bring that certainly into my cricket or so? And, and I think, again, it comes from looking at other sports just as a sports fan. Um, you know, I, li I li like looking at different sports. I follow lots of sports and following the best players around the world and read so much about, 
them and there's always i feel like a certain consistent trend about the best players they do certain things really well they look after themselves they look for new things new invention they're always looking to challenge convention um and i think then sort of bringing that mindset in well if it's if it's good enough for the the best guys in the world in in that and it, it confirms that also that should be the way things should be in your sport what you've just said there reminds me of what Jason Kerr's, who he was the academy director at Somerset, where you joined the academy there at age 13. And he said what impressed him most about you was your character, but your willingness to learn and your hunger for knowledge. So it's this attitude that you have, this looking for improvement in any areas, down the back of the sofa, in the cupboard, in other sports, wherever it may be. This is a, a deep rooted thing for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I think that's the, again, like that curiosity side. And, and I think what I was talking about earlier on when we were saying about how you learn better um you know sometimes you can sort of drown yourself in knowledge and and sort of that thirst for for knowledge and actually forget about yourself and you as the individual and what you do so that's that's the the balance that I didn't always have and and I've tried to get better at in in terms of learning but I I just I I found it fun as well I find it fascinating to listen to to players I, I one of the best things about the IPL for me is you can just watch people train. You know, you get to go to the ground with you guys that you wouldn't normally play with and other guys who are the best in the world. And um, in a lot of the time, like two sides will be training at the, the ground at the same time and, and just watching people do things that, you know, you can learn so much from just watching and, and not always having to ask questions about things. And that's interesting how he does this or that particular drill that he's working on for that particular shot. Maybe that's something I could bring into my game. And like you say, as a youngster on the academy, um, I was very lucky that someone like Jason Kerr was very um, sort of provided a, a, a um, environment where we were all encouraged to learn and to push boundaries and to try and you know one of his big things was you know when you're training around the second team and the first team try and why can't why someone on the academy not be doing something better than they're doing you know why why does it have to we just follow their path you know why can't you challenge them to to be you're training harder than them or you're doing a, a drill that they should be doing and stuff so I thought that was a a really good way of looking at it as well as a youngster I'll come to the IPL in in a mo but in terms of your international career so you made T20 international debut age 20 one day age 21 was it 23 or 24 when you were test um, debut Uh, I think 24 I'd say 24 so you moved fast didn't you when you did each step up along your throughout your career first of all a were there anxieties about am i good enough which is a very normal thought or feeling to have as you take a step up in class and b each time you did progress did you take the time to sort of pat yourself on the back and acknowledge okay here is another step up well done me this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, I certainly had anxieties and that nervous feeling when I was um, starting out. I remember my, my T20 debut really well, walking into a dressing room with Graham Swan, Kevin Peterson, Stuart Broad was the captain. And you know, these are guys I've been watching on the TV for years. And then suddenly you're in the same dressing room as I, you know, actually felt a bit out of place. You, know, you feel like I should really be here. I'm not on these guys level. Um, so it certainly took me some time um, going into international cricket. And I was lucky that I felt that the England side stuck with me for long enough. And in, in, in my first year of T20 cricket, I, I barely scored a run really. And I batted down the order and didn't get loads of opportunities, but I, I wasn't doing much really to sort of warrant investment in, in myself. And um, But I remember really clearly I, I scored 30 runs off, I think, 11 or 12 balls in, in a T20 against South Africa. And that was the moment for me where it felt like I proved to the dressing room that I could do it. Um, and I think that was, it wasn't about the media or the fans or anyone else. It was sort of proving to myself and to the guys in the dressing room, you sort of get that acceptance of, okay, he's he's good enough to be here. Um, and, and I think that was a, a really big moment for for me as a young player is earning that respect of the dressing room they may never have even been thinking those things but it certainly made a big impact for me to sort of feel like now they they've seen that I can do it so self and colleagues I mean I think again that's something that we can all relate to but you do have the added pressure of the fans and the media but speaking of the media just to fast forward to the Ashes 2015, which I know was a bit of a, a harrowing time because I know you don't feel like you played your best in your, and that's in your own words. England did win that series. You know, how, how did it feel being, feeling personally dissatisfied with how you played yet at the same time being part of a winning team? Yeah, good, great question. It's a really strange one sometimes. I think actually I look back with, great memories of what the team achieved but obviously disappointment in sort of my part in that you know and, and like you say when you're looking for that respect of your teammates sometimes I feel like well, I was a bit of a, a passenger really through that series in, in the way I played and I didn't contribute loads to that series win so it gives you a bit of an empty feeling when you look at your individual stuff but I you know one of my favorite things about this so you look around at some of the achievements of some of the other guys and it's just amazing to be on the field for those moments or in the dressing room watching you know Joe Root score another hundred or whatever. so being a part of that side um you know there's some special memories but they weren't sort of individual <laughs> memories of me doing great things so um and I think cricket is a strange one in that sense that it's such an individual sport in a team environment you know you're very much as a batter you're sort of, you're on your own really and it's it's down to you as an individual obviously you're part of a bigger team um, and the same with the bowlers at times. Um, so, yeah, cricket is a, a strange one in that sense. And, um, and I also think having won the series, you know, and then almost after that, you know, people saying, like, what's your favourite thing you've done in cricket? And I almost felt obliged to say winning the Ashes in 2015 because it was it's obviously such a big thing for everyone, win the Ashes, and I'm so lucky to be part of a a winning side um but it was almost kidding myself because I said actually I went through it finding it so tough and not actually that enjoyable and, and got dropped from the team soon after just to zero in on one um person's criticism so Jeffrey Boycott he really did lay it on thick he was saying things like I mean very typical boycott stuff you know rabbit in headlights pathetic seven-year-old schoolboy all that kind of stuff now I know what it's like and we can all relate to this these days you know on focusing or being hard to to shut out negative feedback so you know I get messages about my podcast and most of them are really nice and they're lovely to receive and you get the odd one that that isn't and they and it tends to stick in your mind but that those are messages that only I get to see let alone feedback that would be headlining for example the BBC Sport website so how did it feel having someone pile in like that and I know you weren't alone but how did it were, were you able to stop it impacting you too much I'm probably say at that stage of my career, not really. Um, I'd say I probably was quite aware of it. Like you say, in this day and age, it's very tough to shield yourself from everything that's going on on social media. You know, somehow it gets to you. Um, but I'd say back then, I 
I probably would let that kind of thing affect me and I'd probably let kind of things like the opposition would say to you sort of affect you and um you know so I think it's it is tough and I remember that particular series I talked about that learning I almost everyone built the ashes up so big and I almost was like oh, I need to change everything I'm doing now Mitchell Johnson's coming and xyz I obviously can't do this 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 and focused a lot on negatives of myself as opposed to the how can I score runs or this is my strength etc and then I'd let that drip feed into me from like the media you know know, a lot of the time in the dressing room the the TVs are on and um, you know you come in at lunch and someone's doing a a um, 10 minute piece on why you're not scoring any runs and and you you know you don't want to watch it but then obviously there's that curiosity in the mind of actually what are they saying I wonder what they're they're talking about Um, so I'd say it is tough to shut out at times and especially when it's well-respected people. And I know Jeffrey Boycott's quite outspoken on certain things. He sort of takes things with a pinch of salt. But especially if it's someone you really respected and liked as a player before, who's then having to give you some criticism, you know, sometimes that can, can really affect you. But one real coping me- mechanism I've sort of tried to use is to understand that's people's job, you know, the, especially the guys in the commentary box or um, writing the newspaper articles that is his job to give his opinion it doesn't mean it's right um, but that's what he gets paid to do um, so to to let them let them do that and and sort of not judge that you know it's not a personal thing I think that's sometimes a, a struggle is you sort of take things very personally it's and you know it doesn't make me a bad person that I had a bad cricket match yeah. you know so to try and separate the two as well and not let it um, affect your life like that yeah, that separating of the two is absolutely crucial, isn't it? And it does strike me that you're that you're good at doing that. And I'll come to your your perspective, or, because um, well, there, there are a lot of sports people who struggle. For example, when they retire, and you know, obviously, a lot of their identity and self worth is really bound up in what you do. But it does strike me that you're quite adept at separating just the cricketer or someone who plays cricket from just the person. Is that accurate? Uh, I, I think so. It's something I've, I try and work on and try and remind myself of a lot. Um, you know, a simple analogy of sort of you know, picking up a newspaper. If you start at the start, you know, by the time you get back to the sports pages, you realise that you know not getting any runs last night is not really that much of an issue in 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 terms of thing. But that's also a challenge at times because in my life sometimes that is a big issue and there are knock on effects potentially in certain things that it can have so i think you have to find a balance in those um kind of things and but perspective i think is really important um and i like trying to to find you know where does cricket sit for me in my life it's obviously a huge thing and it's it's my thing and i i try and be the best i can be at it but really in in the grand scheme of the world and especially at the moment you know the things that have been going on from covid it certainly makes you take stock and say actually you know what it's not there are other things that have huge amount of value that i have in abundance and they're not anything to do with cricket and does that outlook paradoxically help you play better i think at t- certain times yes um i think it get, allows you some freedom um i think it allows you um it feels like you've got space to breathe sometimes it's, you, we, we can heat pressure on ourselves and um but one thing you know you always talk about how, when someone's in the zone and it just talks about you know, the um, post-match interview is always the same, isn't it? You know, I wasn't really thinking anything. I was clear. I, mm. I, everything, you know, so how do you get in that zone? And a lot of time you need the freedom of, of thought to, to be there. A lot of the time, if you're thinking about technical thoughts or um, someone writing thing in the media and say, so it's, a, it's just detracting energy from actually your focus needs to be just watching the ball and, and reacting onto certain different things and um i think that perspective does give you freedom to to play because it um i like coming back to that child mentality um you know in the garden with your brother you've got absolutely no worries you're just playing the game um and i think that again though it's a professional job trying to remember you are playing a game and and um to see it as that for as much as you can to what degree then do you think pressure is self-induced by the way you think and the way you look at things? Um, I think certainly to an extent you can enhance pressure and, and height, you know, you can make it a bigger situation than sometimes it is. And then other times you can make it a, 
um, not as much, you know, actually it is a big thing and you feel like oh, it's not. So um, and I, I've certainly never been perfect in this kind of thing. I know I had lots of talks with the psychologists actually throughout the World Cup and especially sort of before the final sort of thinking if, if tomorrow doesn't go how I want it to, I don't know how I'd sort of carry on, you know. So in that sense, I was making it the biggest thing in my whole life at that, that point. Um, so I've certainly drip into the wrong side of those things sometimes but then you know over time we spoke about okay well what can you control can you come back to the game tomorrow um and do your visualization stuff get in the perfect zone you can be that's allowed you to perform so well in the last year and a half two years now all you have to do really is bring that tomorrow that's the only thing i could actually do and control so that the pressures of course of of the um, outcome are, are different at times but actually what I can do to affect that at my best is, is always the same so focusing on the things you can control and in in the moment you so you spoke there a minute ago about not thinking too much for example about technique or about what people have said or written so how have you been able to develop that power of, of focus and what are you focusing on when you're out there batting in a, in a consequential situation and how would you develop that power of focus so uh, my focus when i'm at my best is always about game situation um no especially i suppose sort of, i've naturally found sometimes one day cricket easier than than test cricket because um the situation is sort of laid on in front of you a lot of the time so say for a 50 over match uh, when i come into bat we need 120 runs of 20 overs so I know straight away what the situation dictates of the way I have to play so that's always sort of my focus is is trying to think outwardly about game situation and then trust is a huge one to to feel like okay I trust myself that I have all the tools and and all the right things I need to be able to achieve that um, and then to allow it to happen. Um, your subconscious brain is, is so powerful, and especially in you know, cricket, I've hit millions and millions of cricket balls over my lifetime. So what's different the way I should going to react um, you know, to this particular ball? There's a, you know, it's all ingrained within you. you know, you've done all the work, so allow yourself to be in, in the game of, of what's happening on this particular day and focusing on game situation and gameplay. Um, is always when I'm at my best the, the sort of things I focus on so sometimes in test cricket I find it you know over five days so you're on day one and sometimes there's so many ways that the, the game can unfold so sometimes I find that it's not a very clear picture um, and then I sometimes get confused of you know how should I play at this particular moment um, whereas in one day cricket it's usually a little bit easier. When someone is bowling the ball at you at 90 mile an hour plus and you know there's such a difference watching it on tv to being first of all watching it from the stands and then i imagine even more being out there in the middle you know the first time i remember seeing a match live i was like couldn't believe how fast they're coming is it totally instinct are you almost surprised at what you're doing with the ball sometimes sometimes and, and i think sort of for me that purest form of batting like says when your subconscious is in complete control and you're almost a um you're almost a spectator of your own um, body almost, aren't you? You know, I think that for me is the zone sort of, you know, that you have no real thoughts and it's complete trust in your body and in your practice and in everything that you've trained for that whatever the, this ball comes down, I will react. You know, my, my body will do it for me if I allow it to. Um, so I think that's sort of the purest form of, of batting for me. And, and I think trust is, is a huge part of that. You know, you have to trust that, you've done the work and, and you've done the ugly training at times, you know, to, to face 90 miles an hour in the nets or um, some uncomfortable practices is, is never very fun, you know, actually. But if you can get through that and in the practice and it takes you, you know, in that game situation, you know, you've, you've done the work and have given myself the best chance of, of succeeding. Um, and then allowing, like I say, allowing your talent to do the job for you, allowing your, all those that muscle memory and that subconscious thought uh, to, to take over. I love that, that sort of idea that you practice and practicing hard and refining your skills and putting yourself under uncomfortable situations in practice and then going out 
and ultimately letting go and surrendering. That seems to be a real formula for success in across all sports and in most things, actually. I mean, for me, if I think of preparing for a podcast, I know if I do the prep, if I do the work, and then you let go. It's, it's such a formula for success, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you say, think um, you know, listening to podcasts and reading certain things and looking at different sports, that, like you say, it's that common trend that, you know, the majority of successful people do and say so look at certain businesses and why this guy is so successful it's like you say it's that they do the work and then they let things happen and they have trust that it will happen and they trust the people around them that they've done their work and you know especially in team sports and sort of like you say that um you know we've all done the stuff we're all prepared we've we're good to go let's now go out and and let it happen just a quick thing on perspective um, you're well known for having F it written on your bat. Is that still the case? And where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, it is still the case. And I've had it on there for a while, actually. And I go back to my sort of T20 debuts and, and stuff. I, I was, like I said, I struggled a little bit to start with. And uh, Mark Borden was the England psychologist at the time. Oh, yeah. I remember sitting down with him uh, in a hotel in Manchester and um, just saying, no, I feel like this is kind of happening and I don't, feel like I'm in the best headspace when I'm at the games at the moment and and we went through a little um bit of it and almost that inverted youth that sort of arousal level stuff um yeah. instead of saying where do you sit on this when you, you know at your best what do you sort of you know when you're at your best what is what do you say to yourself and I said I literally just say effort um and it's like well that you know that is it your effort mindset is is pretty much you at your best so um what that's the sort of thing you need to remind yourself of how can you practice that mindset and how can you try and turn up to games and and bring that into your your games and then so i started writing on the top of my handle as just a little reminder you know when you look down and take your guard it's there or through at the non-strikers end um and then i think over time it's taken on on more meanings like i said about perspective um it can take on lots of that and you sit down after you got out and you look at it and you just think effort it doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of life yeah. um certainly find it helps a, a lot around commitment like for me so um like i say if i'm trying to weigh up a situation in the middle and well this bowler's got a certain field i feel like he's gonna bowl this or i, I need to play this shot and, and when that guy on your shoulder is sort of coming in and saying yeah but what if um it's almost that's the time when i say effort trust yourself you know, i think trust in in yourself and your decision making and allowing yourself to commit to those decisions so that that note on the top of my handle sort of taken on on that meaning as well so certainly a, just having a visual tool of it as it's always sort of there um just i think has, has been a, a big plus for me but certainly yeah it's taken on a few meanings at, at different points it's a great little mantra um it's funny actually because boards has come up a couple of times i spoke to alistair cook and he enabled Alistair to to give that voice a name. So Alistair calls his the gimp. And that, that voice that comes up, the voice on your shoulder that's going to chip away and be self-critical and, and stuff. And it's understanding, isn't it, that it's going to come up. There's nothing you can do about it, but it's going to come up. But it's how you manage it and how you react to it. And it, not not batting it away or trying to suppress it or get rid of it, but just how to manage it. And um in terms of you know you mentioned that that you mindset and so he he said to you about um okay what do you say to yourself when you're when you're in the in peak performance and and it was effort um for for anyone listening like how how would you encourage someone or how would you suggest if someone's thinking oh how do i work out what it is for me when i'm in peak performance like if you could just um put in a capsule what what you and, and boards did at that point to work that out what what would you say I think it's sort of trying to um, look at, you know, some of your favourite times of your performances, you know, what was it um, when you're playing your best? And um, for me, I was like looking back at games I played for Somerset and and trying to go back and sort of think through, you know, my feelings um, and my thought processes and and those sort of things. And um, so at me at my best looks like this. And there was obviously different pieces to that as well. And, um, Know, body language is another big one you know when at my best that's so, so that's something i can control take that out with me and my mindset of, of effort is something i can control so um yeah looking back at sort of previous successes um and trying to remember feelings trying to again visualize like say when you were back in that moment 
um, and trying to sort of almost gather back those emotions and, and those feelings that you had um, and then sort of work out a way of sort of just capturing them and, and, and then trying to to find them, especially then in, in preparation to go into another game, etc. trying to take yourself back to, to that place. Um, uh, or more of those feelings that you have when you're in in that peak performance place. That's super interesting. Just to quickly pop back, so we we mentioned post 2015, and I know you you were dropped soon after that. But actually, then you went and you spent a lot of time playing franchise cricket, and you said that that actually really benefited you, and you learnt a lot from, for example. You know, playing with the Rajasthan Royals and you said you learned a lot about yourself and how to be self-sufficient. So two parts of this question as well, Joss. First of all, actually, with what happened afterwards in terms of the World Cup and everything like that and where you are now, in a way, was that a bit of a blessing to have that time to go and have that franchise cricket, which helped you with your confidence and, and everything like that? So that's part one. Was it potentially a, a beneficial period? And secondly, what did you learn about yourself and about confidence and, and how to be self-sufficient during that period? Yes, I, I think it was a really positive effect on me, actually. I think the moment I got dropped actually felt like a huge relief. It felt like I could breathe again. Um, and also, it reminds me about just quickly on that sort of perspective type thing. Um, you know, at the time, you just thought everyone's talking about you. You thought you'd go down to breakfast and the, the chef's probably thinking, thinking in his head oh he hasn't scored any runs and, and the guy you walk past on the streets oh that's him he's in the paper because he's not scoring runs and then you get dropped and then you realize actually like a day later like no one cares like no one's talking about you anymore and then they're on to the next person and, and so that gave me a sense of perspective again um and then yeah going away and learning through, through the franchise stuff i think one thing that gave me a lot of confidence from franchise cricket um is people asking you questions you know suddenly in the IPL you're playing with some of your heroes other people you respect so much from around the world and think a brilliant player um and then they'll come to you and say you know when you do this shot or this thing how do you do that and can you tell me about this bit um you sort of have those organic conversations where you sort of I might show someone something and I'll ask them about a point of their game and then sort of take quite a lot of confidence from someone you respected a lot or thought, yeah, God, he actually wants to know how I do it. Um, maybe he's not you know, superhuman and maybe he still has the same sort of inhibitions I do at certain times. And and I think then going around the world and sharing dressing rooms with people, you go, oh, yeah, everyone's sort of in the same boat. He still worries about getting out first ball as well or he still battles a few demons in the nets, etc. cetera. Um, so you sort of... Um, desensitized those thoughts um it certainly took away sort of um that fear factor of certain players because you're suddenly sharing a dressing room with them and go god he gets remember how nervous he got in that game when he was about to bowl like you know so that that kind of thing um and i think that period is where i started to sort of really learn well and and learn about myself and what so you know picking up certain things and then realizing okay don't have to do everything that everyone says you know let's try and um, take something that Ricky Ponting said, did it work for me? And go, actually, yeah, it does. I'm going to try and run with that for a little bit. Or that other bit he was on about, I'm not sure that one's for me, so I'm going to leave that. And then certain players. So I, I really improved, like I said, my learning at that point. And then sort of people, when you play in franchise tournaments, you're obviously turning up to play in a short space of time with some people you don't know. So the coach, the head coach will come to you and say, so what do you need from me? And they suddenly you actually go, okay, I actually need to work out what it is that I need to prepare for the game. What is it that makes me tick? What do I need to ask him to get the best out of me? So I think then you start, sometimes with, you know, as a younger player and with England, and so you sort of, as a youngster, you certainly assume that, you know, they'll tell me what I need to do sometimes or practice has always been done in a certain way. So you sort of feel like, oh, I have to do, do that, even though I might not particularly want to. So that freedom of someone coming to you and saying what do you you know what do you need to get ready for the game made you sort of really think about that and take ownership of of okay this is what I need for my practice this is what I like to do um and then it is all on you that if they service you that then you know you have to then go and perform so I think taking gave me a lot of ownership suddenly being a bit more independent Mm, yeah, ownership. It's a cracking word. And uh, there's actually some really interesting points I just want to quickly pick up on. First of all, realizing that everyone is human because it's so easy to put people on a pedestal. And again, just to go back to my chat with Alistair Cook and his conversation with Mark Boards and 
who who said that yeah even even Barack Obama when he does public speaking has his own gimp and Alistair was like what really you know like everyone is human and prone to the same self doubts and and you know self critical thoughts we're we're all one in the same in that regard and then when you were talking about when you were dropped and you were projecting your thoughts out onto the um, onto the chef or whatever else like, I can relate to that and I'm sure lots of us can too you know we have thoughts about ourselves and imagine everyone else's but the, but the fact is we live in a hugely indifferent world you know which is on one hand a bit of a, a bit of a difficult thought almost to realize that how little people care but then on the other hand it's reassuring because it enables you to to actually like do what you've done and, and get back in touch with that exploration and that exploring that curious the young side and take risks and because you know there's not actually as much to lose as we think do you think that's a fair sort of summary yeah that's yeah it's a real fair summary and i think you know that can also work the same with success as well you know you get to the sort of top of the mountain and sort of safe winning the world cup for example was um and then after it you're like oh well, that was it you know that was that moment which of course was the best moment ever for us but then it's like oh that's it and it's gone and then actually sometimes then when you look back you go actually it's more the journey and the, the sort of yeah. process you'll go through they're the things you sort of really remember and oh, i remember sort of two years ago when we spoke like this in the dress room, there was a really powerful meeting that everyone had and it's that sort of journey that you they really remember sometimes as opposed to the sort of peak success so i think that sort of takes you back to to the other side of it again like you say how much people don't really really care and there's that the, there's the book isn't there? <laughs> the, the mindset of not giving a and and yeah yeah um one thing I sort of took from that book is is giving yourself a budget of things that you could actually care about. Um, so, sort of in you know go throughout your day. The fact that you know, the lunch wasn't quite ready on time, and you know it doesn't really matter. So uh, there's other things that I need to worry more about in in my life, or um, the fact that the nets aren't perfect at the ground. You know, it's, it's not ideal, but it doesn't actually matter that much. And it's the same with you know how much people sometimes care about certain things. Um, you know, and so but the only sometimes thing you, I sort of battle with with that is the success side of it. Because if you say that failing doesn't matter that much does it sometimes mean that your successes don't really matter that much as well and um you know sort of read some stoic philosophy books and, and listened to your one with ryan holiday and stuff and there's yeah. it's almost like that zen mindset that there's no highs and lows and sometimes i look yeah. at some guys and think well you know when he's high he's really high and he's having the best time of his life and some do you need to be more to get that as well but then obviously you go through the lows which you don't want so i think that's an, an interesting balance sometimes as well because you need to make sure you can give yourself the, the great times that you really enjoy as well um so that's yeah something i always would will battle with sometimes yeah i think that's a really common thing isn't it and that's the success thing you talked about you know and with you and the rest of your teammates which we'll come to in a sec you know in terms of reaching the absolute pinnacle <clears throat> you know winning a world cup under the most incredible um, circumstances ever and but then understanding that well, actually you know it doesn't actually change me or, or or this or a lot of my life and you know we're so many people are striving towards goals and and this and johnny again johnny wilkinson talks about this you know this idea that you know when i finally reach my goals everything will be fine and everything will fit into place but it doesn't happen like that, does it? I mean, as you've just said, you know, you won the World Cup and then actually it's like, hmm, yeah, a day later or two days later or whatever, people are kind of back to their norm. Everything just picks up back where it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sort of you know, suddenly realise, again, it's not the biggest thing for some people. And then, oh, I still feel, you know, um, nervous. I think I was probably quite naive in, in the sense that I've said a few things that are, now I feel like you could sort of, I've achieved that thing. I could sort of free will the rest of my career. I'll never have another worry about cricket ever again. Um, but then you can sure as eggs are eggs, the next match, I still had the same anxieties over things. And just because you're, you're now a World Cup winner doesn't mean you walk on water and you don't care anymore or you don't get those nervous feelings. So that was a real excellent reality check um, for me. And I think some sort of remembering, like you say, we're all striving for, for these goals and, and to try and, be the best we can be and, and get to the but the the mindset of of sort of being yourself and being authentic to yourself I think is the 
that's where the real enjoyment comes and knowing you did something your way because if you're if you're trying to be successful in terms of it's money or sort of those real tangible things there's, there's always someone with more you know there's always someone who's got more medals or there's someone who's won more things or has got more money or so you never really satisfy yourself so to try and have a mindset of, of authenticity and being the best version of you, you know whether that's being a dad or being one of you know when i'm with my mates being the best mate you can be or being so and those real intangible things like you say the and that process of going through it and as is um of your journey towards success is is almost the more enjoyable part of things you know manoj badali is the the owner of the rajasthan royals team and talking to him about his his business is a lot involved in like tech startups and in talking to him about you could just see that glint in his eye you know that's the fun is is the the initial is, is trying to get there can i get this idea or this app to that point now it's not when it gets to that point you almost like the fun's over then it becomes a job but the, the sort of trying to develop an app and come up with something or and then working through the the tough times with it and getting it to the next stage you could you just saw his his sort of face light up talking about that bit and like that being the main bit of fun um that he would would have in trying to grow his businesses um and sometimes that's the same in the in the sport you know the journey is the more fun bit and and at times you don't even realize it until you then have to look back on it and go actually wow that was a big moment in our journey as a team um and how much of an impact that had on you as an individual sometimes takes time to sink in absolutely no i love that and and it's flicking flicking it round, isn't it like there is definitely a a common thinking a way of thinking of oh it's it's in the future but if you live that way as they say you know you 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 die without eventually living if you continually live for the future but if it is if it is the journey and and those moments along the way and the excitement of can i do this if you're that's where you find your joy then then you're you're uh well you're a spiritual master i think essentially right we've got to fin- <laughs> we got to finish um joss just just on the final um obviously you know first something actually i i I watched an interview of you uh, before the world cup had even started and and you were talking about how grateful you were for the opportunity of the home world cup and i thought you know the fact that you saw it as an opportunity and 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 that that gratitude really that that must have really set you set you up really well but let's move to the to the final you've got 59 runs 110 run partnership with ben stokes the super over boundary on the final ball but it is obviously that 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 moment where jason roy pings it in and you've got to catch the ball and and knock the bales off could you describe what what was going through your head at that exact moment as the ball was whistling towards you were you free of thought were you just focused on the process what what was going through your head at that exact moment yeah i've been asked that question a lot and, and really not a lot was going through my head but i knew um like you say you're on that subconscious you just you're just doing your thing obviously the consequences are completely different but in terms of um the fielding and the run out it's actually quite a simple run out really to to execute um i, I really remember before joffre bowled the ball just sort of thinking to myself just do your job like you know whatever happens here do your job um in a way you know don't be the one to mess it up um but just this ball it's one ball do your job whatever happens and if the ball comes your way just do your job um and then sort of in the moment i I knew sort of the ball you know you bowled the perfect ball it gone straight to a fielder and then you sort of switch into the okay you've got actually remember that you've got time because if there's no way you can get back in time well we've got an opportunity so then you, yeah, you're on that autopilot type where just collect the ball and take the stumps it's, it sounds so simple and it is really and obviously mm. the consequence yeah. is different but it, it is that simple if you can stay that present and in the moment um so remember we're doing that and, and then sort of breaking the stumps it, it's sometimes hard to remember sort of exactly what you're feeling at that moment and especially with video you know you've watched it so many times and you've seen it from sort of that many different angles now to remember what was going through your eyes at the time but i just remember the the 20 seconds of of pure elation having broke the stumps and um everyone charging round and guys who are running off from the boundary onto the pitch and and all just everyone just that pure sense of elation and and remember owen morgan sort of describing it as you know when you're like a kid and you're running down a a hill and your legs are just going you just can't keep it's sort of running around the field in that sort of 
state was it was absolutely amazing um and i think that's sort of i remember that feeling more than the the actual ball almost yeah well that that whole do your job which was what you were saying to yourself that is sort of a mantra that focused on the process kept you in the present didn't worry too much about the outcome and therefore you made you know a very high consequence situation but like you say for you relatively simple kept it simple england won the world cup better being all sorted anyway listen it was it was a, it was a beautiful beautiful moment you no know, sports fans will never forget that i remember what a day god that and the wimbledon final unbelievable anyway i mean that's as good a place as any to finish joss it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. You've been uh, full of wisdom and, you know, I've just, just really enjoyed chatting and, and hearing your outlook and your approach and the amount of thought that goes into it. It's been fascinating. So thank you very much indeed. It's, it really has been a joy. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening and if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.